Tom Bernard Show with Hackmaster Ralph Basher, MD. Cassie Schrader. And we'll be right back in just a couple of seconds with Bernie Taylor, our special guest next, Tom Bernard Show. Walzer Automotive continues to grow. They think it's because of their upfront pricing, no haggle or hassle sales experience, and working with one person from start to finish. I think we all know it's because of the loyal podcast listeners. I've said it a million times before. I won't endorse a company that I don't believe in, and Walzer's no exception. I've bought several cars from them, as has my family. I know what you're thinking. Tommy got some special deal. Well, the truth is we paid the Walzer best price just like everyone else. Walzer will sell about 35,000 cars this year, and you can't do that if your prices aren't great. Do yourself a favor. When it's time to shop for a new or used car, go to walzer.com and give them a shot. You won't be sorry. Walzer Automotive Group, walzer.com. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt and talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. <laughs> it's been good, ladies and gentlemen. It's been good. And how do they contact you? And, uh, e- either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Michael I'm sitting in the morning at the diner on the corner. I am waiting at the counter for the man to pour the coffee. And he fills it only halfway. And before I even argue, it's the song you wanted. I know. The Where's the drum part? It's Deborah. coming. It's coming. Wait. I love it. Yeah, but Bernie doesn't have all that. <laughs> it yeah. is always oh, my gosh. She is going. <laughs> they said that is the hardest voice to compress. Her voice is an example of the hardest voice to compress. Compress there is. Really? Because it's a gentle woman's voice, which is very hard to, to compress, I guess. Hmm. Bernie Taylor, how are you? I'm doing great. Can you guys hear me? Yep, we can hear you perfectly. Everything's sounding really, really good. The one line, I, 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 I'm reading through, and one line, I shouldn't say the one line, but one of the lines that jumped out at me, before Orion will change the idea of who you think you are. That's a pretty fascinating thing to say, Bernie. Yeah, Absolutely. So people ask me, you know, what, what am I? And what am I, where's the perspective I'm coming from? And I see myself as a naturalist. And other people will say, well, you know, maybe you're like a Paleolithic shaman, the last Stone Age shaman. And the reason that probably resonates is that we're talking about people from 30, 40,000 years ago that share the same mythology as we do today as I decoded in these cave walls. They honestly... Um, and it, so, how does it change the way we are 
way we, way you think you are is that we find that we are the same people as we were 34,000 years ago. We haven't really changed very much. So the change the way we think we are is that we haven't evolved psychologically. Um, there's been scientific changes, you know, where, you know, Batman, we have better toys, but there's still that animus bat within us, the, the animal that we still, um, we still are. You know, what's amazing about that, Bernie, when you look at it that way, we haven't changed that much in 35, 40,000 years, and yet people think they're far superior to their ancestors and uh, to one another. They think that we are, for some reason, they think we're the last of the, uh, last of the uh, group of people, uh, you know, I used to say the last of the tribe, but that's a different deal. Um, but in any case, we think for some reason right now we're the most important time that's ever happened on Earth, where, whereas we are the same. We've been for 34, 35, 40,000 years or whatever it is. We have different, as a matter of fact, in ways, our life has gotten a lot worse, hasn't it, Bernie? Well, I don't think it's actually changed. You know, as I say, we're like Batman with better toys. Yeah, But yeah. We're, we still have that, that animal within us. And we still have the same psychological issues. And I, when we think of modern times, one of the names will jump out is Picasso, Pablo Picasso, mm -hmm. who invented Cubism and modern art as we know it. Well, P Pablo Picasso's first Cubism piece was Le Dem d'Avignon in 1907. And he has two masks on top of the, on the faces of these women. These, these prostitutes in the street. And those two masks were often said that came from African masks. But in fact, they came from a Pelican cave called Altamira. <laughs> Picasso took the exact same images from this Pelican cave and he put them on his characters to show that we haven't changed. Um, so, have we changed? So, so, modern art as we know it came from Picasso. So, everything in modern art we, we know came from Picasso. And Picasso was borrowing the style and the metaphors and the imagination from people 30, 40,000 years ago. So have we really come far in art itself? I'd say no. We're just reinventing the same styles because they're somehow deep within our psyches. You know what amazes me, Bernie, is when I think of the people, and I don't know how many years we'd have to go back for this, but when people were cave dwellers and they pretty much just grunted at each other, I think they were better off than having to read social media. You know what I mean? Uh, to just well, hear. I don't think they were doing grunting. You have to realize that these, these images are beyond anything we have in modern times. So you couldn't create some of these images on a computer with Adobe Photoshop. They're, because they're, they're sculpted, they're painted, they're shadowed. There's characters on top of each other, and it's so these were not, these were highly developed people with intellectual abilities, just not all the toys. And some of these images are actually a test, and they're a test if you can you know see the forest through the trees. Can can you see beyond the red discs? And most people in our modern times, most scientists, anthropologists, um, archaeologists, failed the test. A test that was made 35 thousand years ago. And so these, these are people that were testing for the certain abilities that they could pass on myth, they could pass on the knowledge of constellations in the night sky, and pass on interrelationship psychology. 
That is so amazing to me. It, it, do we think, does the average person out there think that we've just really come leaps and bounds in the past 35,000 years? Or is it kind of thought, yeah, we've gained in some areas and maybe not in other areas. We, I, the thing that terrifies me, Bernie, is the fact that since 1986, I, I do a morning show as well, and I've been on that show since April 17th, 1986. In that short period, not quite 33 years yet, the population of the Earth has almost doubled. That is terrifying, don't you think? (laughs) Yeah. Well, people think when we try to go back in time to see who we are, people go to the Bible. Right. Which is, you know, more more than 2,000 years old, even 3,000 years old. And or the Gilgamesh, which is a story that was dug up in the sands of the Middle East, which is about 45 4,500 years old. And we look at those stories and we say, you know, those people had fundamentally the same issues that we have today. Um, people bickering with each other, gossiping, you know, idolatry. I mean, you, you just all the same fundamental problems. But now we can go back and see that people 34,000 years ago really had the same problem. Um, and the sets have changed. The costumes have changed. But the story remains the same. You could turn on any soap opera in the afternoon, which I don't really do too much of. And so they sort of like spin the wheel as, you know, is it going to be, you know, betrayal today? Or someone's going to die, be reborn again? So we have these common themes in our stories now, mythology, that go back to a very different point in time. So when I say that before Ryan would change, I think, the idea of who you think you are, it's to say that, we haven't really changed much in a very long period of time, and that we're not any sort of superior intellectual or psychological being at this point in our history. It's, it's, it's clear that our, our highest level of social uh, uh, evolution is the social media we have today. What are the signs in social media today that were there 35,000 years ago? So are, are there behaviors on, in social media now that are just a, the same as we're going on then? Fundamentally the same, because they were communicating through imagery. They told yeah. stories with pictures. Yeah. And on this one panel, the gallery of huh. discs, they have characters, they have a man and they have a horse, and the man actually overlaps with the horse and becomes a centaur. And another man overlaps with a dolphin to become a merman. And, and so he, we have all this, this concept in social media that you actually see overlapping characters, overlapping metaphors. So goes back for a very deep, distant time. We, we, t- we speak through images, through pictures in our mind. And that is what drives social media. I went to a lecture not too long ago, and someone said that the masters of fine arts is the new MBA because we're speaking through images. And that's, what, that's what's in the Paleolithic mind that is in our mind still in our modern time. The only difference is through social media, you know, many millions of people might see your tweet. Right. Maybe a few hundred will see mine. And in Paleolithic <laughs> times, in these caves, very few people went inside. It was the apprentice who took the test to become the shaman. And if he passed the test, you know, he moved on through his journey, sort of Luke Skywalker, and goes through Star Wars. But if he fails the test, he goes back to, you know, fishing and hunting and the mundane, the, the relatively mundane things in that society. You know, Bernie, you just made me think of something, and I want to be very, very clear. I am not condoning any kind of behavior toward anyone. This is not about condoning mm-hmm. behavior. 
but it kind of makes me wonder when, when we're now saying to one another, well, you can't act the same way we used to act 30 years ago, 35 years ago. The world has changed. We've come a long way in the past 30, 35 years. When actually, is it even possible for us to change our behavior after tens of thousands of years of the same behavior? No, not at all, because it's in our psyche. That's what I and thought. It's in our psyche going back to when we were chimpanzees. Chimpanzees have wars. They, they take care of their young. They communicate. They, they groom each other. They have, you know, marital squabbles of sorts, okay? Sure. Um, they're not married, but they have male-female squabbles. So these things go far back in our time. And Jane Goodall said we need to be kind to animals because they really remind us of ourselves. Um, so, so we're not, we're not going to change. Our psyche doesn't allow us to change very much. And here's an example. In the Scar of Disc, there's a female character, and she's obviously in distress. And in the same story, there's a man with a club. And he's, he's not clubbing her. He's clubbing something else. He's saving her. He is the hero. Well, I posted that damsel in stress image on Facebook, and I got shut off of Facebook for two weeks. There, there you all go. All kinds of nasty, nasty comments. <laughs> and what it was is they didn't understand that the hero was saving the damsel in distress. They saw it as they see it as a woman who was being harmed. But that wasn't the story. He was saving her. Right. Now this is what this is where it gets really interesting. Is that is the oldest depiction of we have a female by at least ten thousand years. So from archaeological, historical standpoint, people should be just like jumping up, oh my god. We can see this beautiful woman with this braided red hair, and she's fabulous. And we can see her emotions and that the artist captured those emotions and that there's empathy and there's beauty in our society going back for a very distant time. But instead, they shut it off. And I'm like, it was nutty. That is exactly what I was talking about, Bernie. Why do some people think we can change and again i want to make very clear because people don't pay attention sometimes i am not condoning any kind of behavior one way or the other what i'm saying is for you to say well we can't act like we used to act 40 50 years ago we're still acting like we did 35,000 years ago you cannot change <laughs> behavior that quickly it's not possible no because the behavior that we have today is what allows us to be who we are today. It's mm -hmm. how we came over hundreds of thousands of years to be able to communicate. You know, you know, we, it's the emotions that we portray are what really brings life to us. Otherwise, we're just drones. And so these conversations on the podcast as we're having today, they bring the best and the worst out of us, but they bring life to the conversation. Into our, into our world. It's mm -hmm. what makes the world beautiful. And we, we need that back and forth debate. And we need the apprentice who's going to fail the test. And we need apprentices who will pass the test. And in that, we can learn that we're all different. We're all wired differently. It's not because one was any smarter than the other. Right. But right. our brains are wired differently. And we're, some of us are wired to be great artists. Some of us to play the piano. And some of us to be able to work a calculator and, and run the numbers. And those are all different wirings of the brain. Yeah, it's just like Judge Schmale said, the world needs ditch diggers too, Danny. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, the reality is, is that there's, you know, every everybody has a skill set, and we have to appreciate their skill set, and and as a society, maximize their skill set, and appreciate it, and use it. 
I think that's absolutely right. that's a road. That's a, and the, the, the ditch digger is a follower because someone has to right. be leading the, the ditch diggers. Otherwise, they're not digging the ditch in, the, in a row. Um, so that is that is a personality type. We have all these personalities. We have the introvert, the extrovert, the sensor, the feeler, um, the, the the thinker, the perceiver, and these personality types come together to form individuals. And in a group, those individuals play out the scenes of, a, of theater. And we're changing the costumes and we're changing the sets. But we're still in that same fundamental frame of mind. So will I change the idea of you, who I th you think you are? Well, yes, because we haven't, we weren't, nothing happened 2,000 years ago that made us enlightened. Um, nothing happened in the last 30 years that brought us forward in any sort of emancipation, and whether sexually or racial. We, these personality types are still carried for us. You can go to the zoo or you know, look at a, a movie of the African savannah, and you can see all the personality types of the animals that jump out. And those personality types are still within us. So we haven't come very far. But that's okay. Because by not changing, we can still survive. If we change something... You know, we, we changed the metaphors to something totally different. We wouldn't be able to understand how each, each other is speaking. So we need these myths and we need these stories and we need these dialogues because that's what makes us human. I loved your take on it. Bernie Taylor, before Orion, uh, fascinating subjects, Bernie. It was great having you on. I, I love talking about this because people just think my lifespan is all that matters. Well, I'm sorry, but that's not true. Humankind, uh, the lifespan of humans is what matters, not your lifespan. Uh, that's very, very smart, I think. Appreciate your time today, Bernie. Tom, thanks for having me on. Our great pleasure. Have a good day. We shall be right back in just a couple of seconds. Tom Bernard Show. It's Tom here to tell you how easy it was for me to hit my goal of a 92.5-pound weight loss at Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth with their weight loss plan. I started in March, and in just over five months, I learned about clean eating, and I now know the foods that work for me and the weight gain trigger foods, very important. I'm now in the reset phase and then on to the Nutramost Forever Maintenance Program, which I'll be talking about more in the weeks to come. Find out how to have success losing weight like I did. Attend the Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth free informational dinner on Monday, October 15th, 6.30 p.m. at Jake's in Plymouth. Those extra pounds melt away really fast with this easy program. Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth will guarantee that you lose 20 pounds or more in just 40 days. Nutramost helped me change my life, and they can help you, too. Register for the Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth dinner on October 15th. Just call 763-333-7337. That's 763-333-7337. A program that benefits the homeowner and not the realtor? Do you want a guaranteed offer on your home? Hey, it's Tom with my realtor, Chris Lindahl, who has some exciting news to share. Hey, Tom, we are super excited to announce our guaranteed offer program. Here's how it works. If you qualify, we will guarantee you an offer on your house within 48 hours, which means you could be closing in three weeks. No staging, no cleaning, no decluttering. And of course, no open houses. This is your hassle-free way to sell your home. If you qualify for the program, you will get a competitive offer in 48 hours, period. Sounds like a stress-free way to sell your home. 
It is, Tom. Some homeowners want the convenience to be able to sell their home quickly without going through the stress of showings, open houses, and so many more headaches, especially if they found their dream home and need to sell fast. You do need to qualify for this program, but that's quick and convenient as well. To see if you qualify for the Guaranteed Offer Program from Chris Lindahl Real Estate, go to chrislindahl.com right now or call 763-401-SOLD. Once again, that's chrislindahl.com, Chris with a K. I know where we're going. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back. Thank you again uh, to Bernie. Bernie was a great guest. And uh, the reason it's so fascinating is, again, we're talking about, for some reason, we think we're the greatest uh, generation of people of all time or the the greatest existing people of all time, uh, that we can change our behavior overnight. Even, as I said, uh, you can't act the way you did 50 years ago. By the same token, to think that, the modern person, and in this case, basically in America right now, to be a white man is, a, is not a good thing. Uh, to dump all of the world's troubles, repeated behavior, and that even includes slavery. And I'm not letting anybody off the hook for slavery. That's not what I'm saying. But before slavery was abolished in America, it existed forever and still does in most of the world. That's why... I really wish we'd, we'd tell the truth and pay attention. It was horrible what happened to slaves in America. There's no doubt about it. But I don't see anybody else stepping up and stopping it. Do you? No. No, they don't. So uh, there has to be some credit along with the horrible history changing that. That's going to take a long time to change. I'm sorry. It's not going to just change overnight because you passed the law. It's not going to. There's going to be that, that dislike and hatred between people that's I guess always existed. It's too bad. Yeah. And the subjugation is still going on, even though there's there's no uh, legal slavery in America. Right. Slavery still goes on in America sex in a variety. Slaves, yeah. Of, yeah sec, well, sex slaves, but also uh, people that are subjugated. Uh, you know, that uh, come here thinking of a, a better world and uh, their passports taken away. That happens even in America today. Yeah, it does. Absolutely. You know? I have a question for you. As a matter of fact, uh, for for both of you. Um, they're talking about people coming to America from Honduras. There's a new, there's a new, I don't know, what do they call it? A new flotilla of people coming <laughs> from Honduras. I love that from word. From Honduras. So I have a question. If all these people, and they're walking, by the way, from Honduras to America, what, what is it about, is Mexico so corrupt that they just don't want to stay there? They don't want to stop in Mexico and live a beautiful life on the beach somewhere? Is it just far too corrupt for them to even think of stopping? Will they be killed in Mexico because they're Honduran? I don't know the answers to this. I'm trying to learn something today. Because to walk from Honduras to the United States of America is a trek. Yeah. And and Mexico is big. It's huge. Absolutely. Mexico is almost as big as all of the EU. Yes, exactly. So you're going to walk across that to get to America. You're not even thinking of stopping in Mexico. What's wrong here? I mean, so what, what is the problem? You, Do they get killed? Or, or Yeah, well, that's right. What, what goes on there? Because you're in a country that ha- you have the language skills for. Absolutely. You actually physically, 
from appearance standpoint only, fit in. I'm not saying you need to fit in with everybody and look alike, but you would look like the natives. Yeah. It's uh, tribalism. It is tribalism. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. It's the Honduran tribe against the Mexican tribe. But do they kill them? That's what I want to know. Most people, um, the majority of the Hispanic population that we have, like in St. Paul and stuff, a lot of them are El Salvadorian. They're not from Mexico. And if you call them Mexican, they get very offended. Guatemalan, It's kind of like how when you say somebody, um, an Asian person, if you ask them if they're Chinese. Japanese, Korean. Exactly. They get offended. They don't like one another much. No. And it's kind of like that with the, um, the southern countries. In South America, yeah, I, yep. I see a very similarity when it comes to that. So, I, yeah, I, I understand completely. Joe from Louisville just made a very good point, and we don't hear this anymore on on the television. Uh, well, in some rare occasions and spots we do, but they want to live the American dream. Mm-hmm. Well, I thought there was no American dream. So, how can you live the American dream if we don't even live the American dream? And why? And why is the most popular? Um, one of them, the most popular TV shows in the world, Friends. Right. Because no, Friends Friends is the American dream. It's a mm-hmm. bun- bunch of middle-aged, healthy uh, white people yes. that don't apparently have jobs, that interact, <laughs> no, that, 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 that have this sort of this beautiful social relationship with all the money and all the things that right. they really want. Uh, in the world, that is the American dream. That is what people are looking for and coming to. It, it's a biz, it's a bizarre thing because that, but that's the dream, you know. And they think America is the best place, except for Germany and England, where most of the people from Syria want to end up. Well, you've noticed now that Germany, Italy, and one other country said no more with the immigrants. They're matter of fact, they're throwing them out of the country. Well, they're having a huge pro- influx are, of yeah. uh, Muslims, I know, in London. In London, yeah. And stuff like that. And, you know, it, it's hard to put all these different cultures and everything in one big... Well, That's exactly like, it, too. Well, especially in a small area like London. And for them to try and assimilate to each other, they don't want to. And what happened in New York? Mm-hmm. In New York, uh, from the uh, late 19th century into the mid 20th century. Mm-hmm. Every wave of immigrants that came into New York, mm-hmm. there's the Germans, then the Italians, then the Jews, then the Irish. Every well, group we don't that, want the Irish. Okay, that's a whole we, <laughs> don't no, no, the so, Irish. I still they come them. in and what and what happened <laughs> is that movie. they were not accepted. They were subjugated. That's correct. Or yeah. they were they were they were um, discriminated against until they assimilated. And then once they assimilated, the yep. next group that came in, well, you don't speak the language, you don't fit in here, you're, you're dirt. You know, yeah. and, and, so, and until you assimilate, and what's happening with so many of the immigrants into the EU, into America, they're not assimilating. Mm-hmm. They, they are maintaining really way more of their culture and identity and in their own enclaves in America, almost, almost individual states or places with their own dialect or their own culture, they're maintaining that rather than assimilating. Unlike, yeah. unlike yep. the Poles in, in, in uh, Chicago, they've assimilated, even though they've maintained their culture and their religion Let's and things like Polak that. Let's go Polak for Bill's. Okay, okay, that's <laughs> Paul. You, you, use a drug. He's use in a, Europe right but, now. So oh, he is? Probably over yeah. visiting the homeland. No, he's over teeing it up is what he's Oh, doing. he is. Oh, good friend. <laughs> I think he's in Italy. I'm not sure. Maybe France. I'm not sure. No, I, that's the whole point. And I loved having Bernie on today because we talked about 
we are pretty much the same as we were very close to what we were 40,000 years ago. Yet somehow now uh, uh, people think, oh, we can change the world forever. We can make the world better, but we're not going to change the world forever. We don't have time. We've only got 100 years, right? Uh, Stephen Hawking released a... uh, they re- excuse me released they released a Stephen Hawking. Uh, he was positing on the fact that uh, if you're wealthy enough and have the intellect to do so, you're going to start developing superhumans that are going to. Be, and his view was they pretty much are going to prey on uh, people, you know, people not as smart as they are, which they're already doing. I mean, how do we not see that? All these politicians, 95% of the politicians, there are some that are good people. There are. Not many, I will tell you that, not many at all. But uh, what do you think they're doing when they kiss people's butts or give them things? They just buy in your vote. They don't care about you. They care about themselves. Isn't that terrible? Yeah, mm-hmm. it is. It, you know, it's, it's sort of like a, a super, whatever, however you want to define superhuman, are yeah. going to subjugate or use exactly the people that maybe uh, don't have the same means or whatever. Yep. That's exactly his point. And what Bernie was talking about is the same situation. It's nothing new that 70% of people on earth cannot think beyond the level of a 12-year-old. It's always been that way. Well, and with technology, I mean, all we do is communicate through imagery. Correct. We don't communicate with the spoken word anymore. So I think that has... I tell people to F off still. <laughs> Well, I think that has kind of regressed our, our, I agree. our progress as yep. humans. Well, there's even talk of substituting or uh, the, uh, making the universal language the emoticons. That's, oh, really? Uh, I'm not, I'm, I will literally become illiterate. Well, that's a thing. Like on Facebook <laughs> and stuff, they'll say um, what, uh, like put like Disney movies only using emojis and guess what movie? So people are using different emojis or whatever t- mm-hmm. so that you can guess what they're trying to say, like what Disney movie right. it is. So like you can put like uh, something that represents like little and then like a mermaid tail. Right. Like little mermaid. Little mermaid. Well, yeah. a mer- I think isn't there a mermaid emoticon? There probably is. There probably is by now. Every time though I want to use one, they don't have the one that I want. I'm like, oh, I really nice. need an emoji you know, for this. You know, the, the universal sign of discontent is never going to be an emoji for you. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it's never going to be an emoji. That's pretty cool, I think. They do have the middle finger emoji, by yeah, the way. They do? Oh, they do? Really? Yes. Oh, 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 they do. So they do have the universal uh, yes. sign. Is it called the Bernard? <laughs> the Bernard. Now, now, my question about emojis, they still have not allowed you to change the color no, of the faces. Can. No, wait a second. Hear me out. You're not allowed to change the color of the faces of families. So there can be no uh, darker race family. They all have to be yellow faces. Everybody, every family is a yellow really? face. Oh, oh, yes. when it has like the multiple. You can't have, you can't have a handshake that. between two uh, people of color. Why not? Oh. Because I don't know. That's it's a little really? bit, little, little bit of racism in those emojis. And I'm yeah, very weird. Oh, it is bizarre of the emoji system. Uh, yeah. Well, otherwise, I got to see this. If and by the way, if everybody th- if there's anybody out there that thinks you're 100% racist free, you're crazy. Oh yeah, I'm on Twitter, and when I click like uh, the darker skin, all the family ones are still stay yellow. There what? you go. Yeah. Uh. Why? Oh, you never know that. See, uh, I don't do emojis, so I don't care. 
Yeah, I, changed. I don't even answer my phone. <laughs> I know I texted you. You didn't text so the, me back, the, Tom. <laughs> Tom. The friends, the family, the, anything that's together cannot be changed in color. Really? Well, people were people were so up in arms that they were all yellow. And I'm like, why are you? Who oh, cares? Is it's it, not Asian. They're just. The I, only, I mean, the only Asians one aren't that yellow, well, first no, of it, all. I, to me, I would think Pac-Man of all people would be offended. Yeah, but I mean, it's like I, I don't, I don't relate to an emoji when it comes to my, you know, myself. You know what I mean? No, I agree. Like I, I do it. Yeah. I do it to like if I'm being sarcastic. Not you. I'll put an emoji so they know that I'm being sarcastic and kidding. Because when you when you text or you know when you're on Twitter and stuff. People don't know your intent behind your words because they right. don't hear your voice. So right. that's, no, that's a very they, good point. That just came up yesterday in my life, as a matter of fact. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why I use the emojis so I can put some type of emotion behind what I'm tweeting or texting. That way they know I'm joking or being sarcastic. Yeah, I, would, I, I was texting back and forth between a friend of mine, a guy I've known for years actually, and we're texting back and forth. And I assume that people know me and that if I'm always nice to you, it means I don't like you. Mm-hmm. What I'm trying to do is keep you at a distance by being nice to you because I don't care for you. No, I'll be nice to people. I'm just talking about always nice to people. So I was kind of ripping on my friend, but exactly exactly what you were talking about happened. He couldn't tell the emotion behind my statement, so he thought I was mad at him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, so it's like, whoa, that's scary. Yeah, it's it's hard. It's hard when when you don't know the intent behind it. And um, well, Dave just put um, a post up the other day saying I don't or something about like I I don't know my place in this universe. And everybody thought he was suicidal. Oh yeah, absolutely. So it was yeah, like, no, you, I, yeah. I'm just, you know. So it's like maybe he should put it like a little heart next to it, so it's out of well, love. Heart, lol. Yeah, lol. Or something. Because yeah, people just don't know. Yeah, that's true. Texting's dangerous. It, it is. Really is. It is. Yeah. And because you know, you don't see the the body language. You don't see the facial emotion nope. associated with that, or the tone of voice. Well, yeah. I, that's right. I think that's why too. A lot of people don't know how to communicate with each other because um, they don't, when they're communicating through text and everything and they say hurtful things like all these trolls and stuff on social media, they don't see the face of the person that they're, right. they're bashing or whatever and the pain and hurt they're causing this person. So there's, there's Makes that, it easier for them to do. Yes, and there's that disconnect, and I think that's why people are so hateful towards each other in person now. Yeah, they are. So, um uh, Catherine has just called in, but we need to go to a break in about. Catherine of it, but she—I thought she was on the airplane. No, <laughs> Catherine Webster. <laughs> oh, Catherine Webster. Sorry, Catherine. Was, uh, sorry, Catherine Webster. We're gonna we're gonna go to break in about one minute, and then we'll come back. Is that okay with you? That sounds great, Tom. No, Catherine. I will tell you, my wife's name is Catherine, and she's going to visit her parents in Arizona. And so they said, Catherine just called, and I'm like. She's on an airplane. How's she calling? <laughs> you so, can make calls I'm, from airplanes, though. That's true. I'm glad you're thinking about her, Tom. That's well, nice. Uh, Catherine, I'll tell you what. I'm thinking about her in this way, that she abandoned me for the next four days, and I'm crushed. That's all I have to say. That's it. <laughs> what do you think? Well, I think a little space between people who love one another are, oh, uh, is a good thing. Oh, that's nice. Uh, we only have 30 seconds left right here, but I will tell you this, that I, I had just went through a full physical, 
and I found out I have a little hernia that I have to have repaired, right? So I, I go to another uh, exam. I come back about an hour and a half later, and my wife says, where were you? What were you doing? I said, I was doing my, my pre-hernia operation, uh, uh, my exam. And she goes, for an hour and a half? <laughs> and then she cups her hands and moves her fingers like she's squeezing my... <laughs> Honest to God, Catherine. She should, I love don't you your think wife. My, I think my wife should grow up, Catherine, don't you think? Well, I think I think your wife probably deserves this four days away. I think so do you. <laughs> well, thank you, Catherine. We but I'm, be... I'm of the belief that marriage is a very tough game. So, oh, And being marriage. recently widowed, I am oh. wallowing in joy and happiness. So. Is that, yeah, I bet not. Well, no, I mean, it's uh, an interesting situation, which we'll discuss. We can find out more in just about two minutes, Tom Bernard Show. Tom Bernard here to tell you, Priority Courier Experts has immediate openings for drivers looking for more. Priority drivers are independent contractors who set their own hours, start from their own driveways, and deliver local on-call parcels and freight, which means you're home for dinner every night, and you get paid weekly. Right now, Priority's driver-friendly lease-to-own program has brand-new dock trucks, flatbeds, curtain sides, and tractor trailers just waiting to be driven home. And Priority's also offering a $4,000 sign-on bonus to qualified drivers. So if you've got the skills, we can get you qualified to start driving a brand-new truck in as little as three days. Calling all drivers. Come get the $4,000 sign-on bonus you deserve for all the knowledge and experience you bring to the delivery business. Call our fleet reps right now at 651-748-4477 or visit them online at Priority.com. Priority Courier Experts. Every time you call us, we deliver. Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. Right now, Sabre and Bryant are teaming up to offer 0% financing for 36 months when you buy a new Bryant furnace. This is the perfect time to replace your old furnace with a new trouble-free, energy-efficient furnace from Sabre. And when you buy Bryant equipment, you're getting one of the most trusted names in the industry. This 0% offer is available for a limited time. Call Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning to find out more, and please tell them that Tom sent you. Sabre and Bryant, whatever it takes. Lovely song. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. Catherine Webster, our special guest. Talking about. I was just reading the the description of the book uh, and some of your bio as well, and I was just looking after the sudden and devastating death of her husband and business partner and intransigent woman. You're an intransigent woman. Did you know that? I know. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Not a problem. Okay, I wanted to make sure. Uh, you ended a period of your life immersed in fear, self-doubt, and near financial ruin. How did that all happen, Catherine? Well, my husband, and thank you for inviting me to your show, first of all. My husband was the product of a, a very wealthy family, so uh, going through life, he felt that he would rely on inheritance money, and therefore, oh. neither he I 
set up anything properly in case one of us should die. And particularly if he died, I would be probably left with very little. So it's a warning to people out there. If you are in a married situation or any kind of a couple situation, it's probably good to make sure you've got all of your, your um, assets and so on and insurance in, in order. But that was not the case with me. So when my husband very suddenly died, which was a shock to everyone because he was the healthiest guy in the world, so it was one of these accidents of life, then I was left to wade through a whole series of problems. And one of the greatest issues, of course, was that I had to ask myself, okay, my life has changed immeasurably, so who am I now? Yeah, and see, I think that, is a really good question. And I would think the exact same thing. God, thank God my wife is younger than I am, so she'll probably outlive me by several decades. But I would ask that same question. Who the hell am I without Catherine? I, I, I would not like that at all. I would not care for my life without, without Catherine. So I understand exactly what you're talking about. Who am I now? Oh, absolutely. It's a shocking situation because you think that you've got a plan, that you're married, mm-hmm. that you've got... Perhaps a house, some property, some some things that you're planning for the future, your retirement, your golden years, whatever it may be. And all of a sudden, 50% of the equation evaporates. And it's the finality of the situation. I mean, you, you realize that no one's going to answer that cell phone number anymore when you call it. And you have to take a look at the situation and say, well, okay, so now who am I and how do I go on to have some semblance of a happy life without this person that was my life partner. And that's a really tough place to be. No, it's a very tough place to be. I, I, I will tell you what, I, um, I guess I'm very, very close to my wife. I adore my wife and our children, our grandchildren. I have a magnificent, I consider myself to kind of be living the American dream, you know, because I adore my family. Mm-hmm. But one thing that bothers me about that whole thing, and it does frighten me, because I remember my father and my mother, the last time they looked at me and the last thing they said to me before they died, I can picture in my head right now. I don't want to see that scene with any of my family now. I just don't. How, how do you deal with that? Well, the thing is that it's, it's obviously something that stays with you. Uh-huh. Uh, I will never moment moment is it's in my in my book as well when my husband took his last breath and I remember saying to him because he was he was under a lot of sedation so he wasn't awake but I said to him where you're going now you don't have to be afraid and I'm almost envious that I'm not going to be there too and then he took his last breath and that was the moment that it's almost like you fall off a cliff where your life suddenly changes how do you deal with it You have to take a little bit of time at first to just pamper yourself. First couple of weeks, people will be there for you. But it's amazing how people sort of go back to their lives very quickly afterwards. Um, And they expect you to get on with yours. So you have to... Mm-hmm. And it's real. that's a really tough part because now you're a different person. So now you have to sit down and basically I have to sit down and make lists and say, okay, here are my assets and my liabilities and and i also not only looking at my own financial situation or what was around me but who i was and the the good thing about the situation is that i was able to use that situation to plug all the holes in my personality uh, take a look at the person i was make improvements and essentially recreate the person i was 
yeah, well, into see. a much better person. And that was the positive part of it, is that now I'm doing things that I probably would not have done if I was still in this marriage with Lex. But the thing evaporated, and it was a time in my life that I was obviously given an opportunity con- to contribute something else. How old was he when he died? 54. Oh, see, that's way too young. That's the other part of it. I, have, I just lost a friend on Sunday, and, you know, wasn't a real close friend, but I admired him, and he was a friend. He died on Sunday morning of alcoholism, and he was only 66 oh. years old. It's way too young to be dying. I know. Isn't that terrible? But 54, that's over the top, too young to die. Um, God, I was so well, hollow. here's another little situation I remember is I was in Paris at Fashion Week because my husband and I had a um, fashion accessory business and he chose this time not to go with me. So I was there oh. alone to the hospital the day after I left because he had some chest pain. And so I talked to him on the phone and I, was, I said, no, I'm coming back. And he said, no, 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 it's all routine. Everything's great. Uh, do your work there and then come back. And so, I mean, there was no way when I talked to him on the phone or even when I saw him in the hospital that I could even think that he could die because he was his usual self. He was very energetic. He was, my husband was very trim. He didn't smoke. He had no bad habits. So for him to suddenly die was really an accident. They gave him a blood thinner after a surgery that he had an allergic reaction to, and they couldn't stop the process once it started. So over three agonizing days for me, he died. And but before he even had the surgery, he had regrets. You see, he said, well, there's a lot of things that I wanted to do, and now I'm going to do them. When I get out of here, I'm going to do them. But he never got out of there. Oh, God. See, that's just so hard. Well, it is, because even then he said to me, I should have gone to Paris with you. And, and they, now, you see, when you're in the hospital, too, people do really do, the, the, the people who are, are working with you, the doctors and all this staff, they look at more than just the physical problem. They look at the whole mind, body, spirit, and they want to find out where your mind is at and why you could be sick. So this is what made him think, hey, I've got to change the way I'm living. So when he died, I took a look at it and said, hey, I've got to change the way I'm living. Yeah. I've got to be a more effective person. What was part of that, part of the whole thing, is part of the whole thing the fact that, that losing him did, in, I mean, convince you you had to change some things in your life. Because he said, well, I should have gone with you. I should have done this. I should have done that. So naturally, you'd be thinking, well, I should do this or I should have done that before when he was still alive, but I should do this now. So really, I, I would imagine makes you completely rethink your life in a way, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And it's a very humbling experience yeah. when someone who is a life partner dies. Because, and everyone will tell you this, that it's because of the finality of the situation. It's not like a divorce. People say, well, yes, it's not. It's much more serious than that. Even if you were having marriage problems, if your marriage wasn't perfect, you still get used to living a certain way, and all of a sudden you are forced 
to cope in ways, and you're forced to do things you didn't do before. I mean, he did a lot of the heavy physical lifting. He cleared snow. He cut the lawn. He took care of you know, when the toilet was broken, when the computer didn't work. Suddenly, I had to do all that plus everything I did before. So I sat down and I said, you know, I'm going to change who I am. I changed my hair. I changed the way I was living. I started traveling alone. I was filled with fear sure. because I really didn't know if I could handle this. And the more problems that I solved, even if they were small and some of them were large, there was a problem with the tax department that was huge. And believe me, that's one organization that never has any sympathy, whether your husband or wife has died or whatever. They have no sympathy for that. If they want their money, they're coming after you. Yeah, well, there you go. And that's the other part of it. The, the money woes that, that come oh. to the fore. It just... Because everybody cannot wait to stick their hand out and get your money. Whatever money you have left, they want it. Oh, it, it was truly uh, the estate issues. It takes time to deal with all that. But even beyond that, okay, let's say that all, you complete all that. Then you're left with one thing, and it's yourself. And this allows you a various luxurious opportunity to take a look at all the things about yourself that you didn't like or weren't effective and say, now I'm going to change this. And you just do it. Yeah. Which, so do you think, I mean, is there, is there a part of you because you're a human being thinking, well, this all happened for a reason? Yes. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, it would be hard to get around that. Oh, this, this happened for a reason. And then you look at it and go, God, I'm far too self-important in this argument. But then you also realize, well, I have to survive. So it's not all really just self-importance. It's rethinking what am I going to do now? Well, I, you know, the, the fact was that when I was in the relationship with Lex, um, I thought I was really smart and really strong. Mm-hmm. And I, when, after he died, I realized how insignificant I was that I was facing things like fear of success. I was facing things like managing all aspects of my life myself without being able to turn and allow somebody else to take care of it. Yeah, I... I... So where are you now? Are, are you in a? So how long has Lex been dead? He died in, in uh, March of 2015. So it is coming up to four years. Coming up to four years. So how are things? Uh, I guess what I'm asking you is, if 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 your life without Lex was like a train, how far have you gotten from the station? <laughs> you know what I mean? I would to my next destination. I am pretty well three quarters of the way there, um, Good. because. Good. I think the first year is the toughest year for anyone, but if you start to address it and you have to be aware of the fact that the worst thing about being on your own like this is fear. And there's going to be some abandonment as well. I mean, you, you know, you have to keep in mind that when you are in a married situation, you have a lot of couples as friends. And those people yeah. oh, now, yeah. they don't want to be your friends anymore, really, because they don't want to be reminded every time you're at a function like you were the pink elephant in the in a tutu sitting in the room of the fragility of life. So they start to leave you off the guest list. And mm-hmm. I've talked to a lot of men and women who have been widowed, and they say the same thing. I feel abandoned by people who I thought were my friends. Yeah, well, they should give up drinking. Same thing happens. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> I, I, but anyways, there's, there's the, the whole thing is facing fear. Fear is going to be the yeah. big monster. Yeah. And um, and it's it's a matter of just taking each problem, even if you take one a day or one a week, and as you solve it, eventually 
you're able to look over your shoulder and say, hey, I've really come a long way. Yeah. Catherine, I've, I've noticed uh, when, when my father passed, I was a resident uh, at Northwestern University. And, I, and I, as a physician, I thought, well, this whole idea of uh, grieving, oh, that, that's just stupid. It's the stupidest thing in the world. This doesn't really happen. It doesn't take that much time. But I realized uh, it took five years for me to get beyond that. Not that I was incapacitated by the loss or anything like that, but it was it affected the way I approached my life in a variety of ways. Very similar to you know what you've said. There's some things not quite as intense, but that same kind of thing, that same kind of psych, psychological adjustment you go through. And I've noticed even when after my father died, my mother took five years before she was in another relationship. And I've seen in other people that they they change at about five years where they should have gotten beyond that and now they're able to come out, be more social. They may change their life in other ways. But when you say it's you're three quarters of the way there, you're right on the timeline as far as how long this process takes. It does take and it's amazing because you started off your life without this person and they've come into it, yeah. but we have yeah. been uh, socialized to believe, or maybe it's biological, I really have no idea, uh, that once you pair up with somebody and they're a part of your life, that's it. Well, unless you, unless it's, it's a, a movie like The Notebook, where you die at the same moment, and that's probably not going to happen unless you're in some sort of an accident, right. somebody's going to live and somebody's going to die. It's an, and the person who's left behind is the one that's going to have to do a kind of heavy lifting. And that is to not only deal with their own feelings of grief, but also make sure that the wheels continue to turn with all the mechanical and, and all the, the aspects of your life. I mean, the bills have to be paid, and somebody has to look after the house and the finances, and you have to work, and you have to continue to make whatever contribution that is. And generally, I feel that when someone is left behind, it is the person who is supposed to be making the contribution. For my part, I wouldn't have written this book had I been still in the marriage, or any book, probably. Becoming Madam Widow, great cover art, by the way, very nice. The, the drawing on the cover is very nice. I like that. Well, I wanted to, if I may take a moment to tell you about that, I did a painting uh, of that figure, and then when I submitted it to the publisher because they wanted an idea, they took it and did a line drawing. And it, this is supposed to be a figure of a woman who's been stripped of virtually everything mm -hmm. and is in this process of coming out of it, and the rose is supposed to signify a black rose, which is a rose color of mourning. Indeed it is. Becoming Madam Widow, ladies and gentlemen, Catherine Webster. Catherine, great job. A wonderful talking to you. I le See, I learned things today. I always like to learn things, Catherine. Well, thank you very much. I always learn things when I talk to people like you, and I hope that your wife has a lovely trip. Well, thank you, dear. We'll talk to you soon. Have a good and day. And when she's oh, yeah. treat her nicely. I, I absolutely, Catherine. It's just a given. Okay. Thanks a lot. That's Thank you so much. Bye. Catherine Webster, ladies and gentlemen. We'll talk to you later. Tom Bernard Show.